The Paul Bunyan Trophy gets awarded to the winner of the Michigan-Michigan State game this weekend. An update on which names are in the running for LSU's top job. And we'll do a little Week 9 Pick'em Preview. It's all next. I'm Jay Smith, and this is After Further Review. And now, after further review, a Clemson student's perspective on sports. Well, welcome everyone to another edition of After Further Review. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm Jay Smith, and we've got an exciting episode of AFR for you today. Lots to talk about in preparation for week nine of the college football season. Some, some interesting news that's come out uh, this week with regards to uh, the LSU coaching news and uh, possibly some names dropped for, for USC's top job. Uh, we'll get to all that a little bit later in the show. We're going to start off with the Michigan-Michigan State game this weekend. Obviously, it's a big game, right? This kicks off noon on Fox on Saturday. You got number six Michigan taking on number eight Michigan State. Certainly a game that has huge implications across the Big Ten and also the college football playoff in a way. You know, and the fact that this game is at Spartan Stadium, or it's a home game for Michigan State, I think certainly helps them in this matchup. Michigan has looked surprisingly consistent all year long. Uh, Jim Harbaugh, has has he finally turned a corner? You know, there was a lot of talk for a long time that Harbaugh can't win a big game. Michigan is doomed to mediocrity under Harbaugh. I mean, I can spend 15, 20 minutes just reading off the negative headlines that we saw of Jim Harbaugh you know, and about the Wolverine football program in the first few years that he had taken over, right? There, there wasn't a lot of optimism, and there really uh, wasn't a, a ton of reasons to be optimistic, right? Michigan was sort of middle of the pack in the Big Ten, especially within their own division. And so, you know, it, it's it's been a rocky you know, few years for, for Harbaugh is charged in charge of the the Michigan Wolverines, but things seem to be ta- you know turning a corner, and he's got his Wolverines team at at seven and zero. They're atop of the Big Ten East standings, and this game is you know pretty much the determining game uh, for who will be in that front running position in the Big Ten East. Now I know Ohio State. You know if you look at conference play, right, you have three undefeated 4-0 teams, Michigan, Michigan State, and Ohio State. Obviously, the uh, loss to Oregon by the Buckeyes early this year is the sole blemish on their record, so they're sitting at 6-1 overall. And, you know, the, the Big Ten, I think, is probably poised better than almost any other conference right now to fit two teams in the playoff. Certainly, Iowa's loss to Purdue sort of threw that in into jeopardy. But the, the loser of this game, the loser of this Michigan-Michigan State game, 
I don't think they're necessarily out of the playoff hunt. It will be difficult. It will be difficult because you've got to think not only are they going to drop a game, right? Not only are you going to lose uh, a game in your overall record, but you're going to drop a game in conference play as well. And you're going to be behind two teams, Ohio State and then the winner, uh, in terms of making the Big Ten championship and claiming that Big Ten East title. So there's a lot on the line. And the thing about the Buckeyes, who are you know sort of lurking, right, third place in the Big Ten East, when you look at the Buckeyes' schedule, they have to play Michigan State and Michigan to close out the season. So we could see all sorts of chaos, at least in the Big Ten East, in the latter parts of November. From November 20th on, you're just going to want to watch these Big Ten games, right? I mean, that's going to have some huge implications for not only that division and the conference, but but the college world playoff. Because again, at this point, when you look at the Big Ten, you look how everything is stacking up. Yes, Minnesota is 3-1 in conference play in the West, right? They're tied with Iowa, uh, both teams 3-1 overall. But I have more confidence in the Hawkeyes than I do the Golden Gophers. And the Golden Gophers sort of started out slow, right? They they started 2-2, two and two, had an a understandable loss to Ohio State in the season opener, 45-31. They showed up and played well in that game. But the loss to Bowling Green at home sort of soured a lot of people on Minnesota this season. But they have, you know, rattled off three straight wins uh, and they will have to travel to Iowa on November 13th in what you would you would imagine will be the deciding game for the Big Ten West. And again, with Iowa, you know you look at the the Hawkeyes. Obviously, the the loss to Purdue uh, stings, but they're going to they're going to have to figure out a way to overcome that. They've got Wisconsin on the road this weekend. Then they're going to travel to Northwestern play Minnesota. The nice thing for Iowa and Minnesota is they avoid playing Michigan State, Michigan, and Ohio State. Right? That's that's not on uh, their schedule, except for obviously Minnesota playing Ohio State in the season opener, but they avoid Michigan and Michigan State entirely. Minnesota's already played Ohio State and lost. Iowa will not have to deal with any of those three. And you could argue those are the three best teams in the Big Ten right now, right? Michigan, Michigan State, Ohio State, uh, where you've got them exactly in your pecking order is up for debate, but those are looking like the three best teams in the Big Ten right now. Uh, with, you know, Ohio State has sort of bounced back from their loss at home to so Oregon. They have improved a little bit. Michigan has been fairly consistent throughout this season. There's been a couple close games. The Rutgers game, they didn't look the best, right? That seven-point victory over Rutgers wasn't ideal. But every other game has, has you know, been a pretty good performance. And, and the, Wisconsin, or the uh, Nebraska game, excuse me, the Nebraska game from a couple weeks ago that was, a, you know, a tight three-point game, 32-29, on the road, Still, Michigan was able to score points on offense, right? They they weren't, um, you know, shut down for a quarter or two. Uh, they just allowed Nebraska to sort of hang around in that game. And credit to the Cornhuskers and Scott Frost, they they did try their best there towards the end to, to pull out the upset. But Michigan has looked solid. 
they have looked again consistent and you know when you when you look at the Wolverines I think it's fair to say they're the most complete Wolverine team we've seen under Jim Harbaugh so now that we've talked about you know why does this game matter what's the significance of this game let's go into a little bit more of the X and O's of this particular matchup and again both of these teams have been pretty consistent in their approach to their games all season long, right? We've seen the same style of play from both Michigan and Michigan State. Uh, both these teams are pretty similar in their numbers, right? Michigan is averaging 37 points per game. They're allowing only 14. Michigan's right at 440 total yards of offense. A little more run heavy, though, right? They're 250 yards on the ground per game with about 190 in the air, and they're allowing, on average, less than 300 yards per game. So pretty good numbers for the Wolverines. You look at Michigan State, they're around the you know mid-30s mark in points per game, right? 34 points per game, so a few less than Michigan. Uh, they do allow, on average, a few more points per game, 18 compared to Michigan's 14. But where the real difference is, especially when you look offensively, is the fact that Michigan is much more balanced, right? 200 yards on the ground, 250 in the air. Uh, so basically the same total yards as Michigan per game, but the Spartans do it in a much more balanced way, and they've been able to keep that consistent throughout the season. However, there there is a weakness for Michigan State, and that is their defense. Defense is usually allowing about 400 yards per game, most of it through the air, 285 compared to 121 on the ground. Well, we just talked about how Michigan is a run-heavy team, right? You look at, at their numbers, uh, their lead rusher on the year, Blake Corum, he's got 729 yards rushing on 116 carries with 10 touchdowns. So the Wolverines are playing more of a ground-and-pound style of football, but still, they're going to take advantage of that Spartan secondary. The weak Spartan secondary uh, is is going to be, I think, under duress for some of this game because Michigan's going to alter their their scheme a little bit to take advantage of the fact that Michigan State is typically allowing 300 yards through the air. Uh, I think that will be one thing to watch is can Michigan throw the ball as efficiently and effectively as they can run the ball? We've, we've seen you know, a demonstrated ability week after week after week Michigan is able to run the football effectively, but will will they be able to throw with the same sort of precision against Michigan State? That'll be something to watch. And then for the Spartans, are they going to stay balanced? Are we going to see you know about as many yards on the ground as we will through the air? Uh, if Michigan is able to shut down and you know the, the running game for the Spartans, and they then have to become one-dimensional, how does that affect Michigan State with regards to, to this game? So there's a lot of interesting things uh, so to look at and watch for this particular matchup. Again, I think the two biggest ones are, will Michigan be able to throw the football as efficiently as they'll be able to run, and how balanced is Michigan State going to be uh, throughout this game? Both defenses have played well all year long. I'm expecting similar performances on Saturday but you got to think with the way these teams have played, the types of games they've been in, and just the you know points per game, it's going to be a higher scoring affair. I mean, I, I'm expecting 
both of these teams to probably hit the low 30s. In fact, I think if there's a magic number, it's 35. The first team to 35, like if you're scoring five touchdowns, you're in a comfortable position to win this football game. Turnovers are a huge part of that, right? You can't turn the ball over. Uh, Michigan, with this being a road game for the Wolverines, they have to stay disciplined. They can't make mistakes, and they can't give the crowd more reasons than they already have to get into the game and cause uh, you know some disruption there because it's it's going to be a rowdy environment uh, in uh, East Lansing on Saturday again this game kicking off noon on Fox it's going to be a fantastic game do wish it was a little bit later in the day but it will certainly be a big game it's going to have big Big Ten implications not just in the East but the entire conference and then college football playoff right this is going to certainly leapfrog the winner up into the top five, right? You know, Michigan State's at eight, Michigan's at six. The winner of this game will be in the top five. They'll probably bump out Ohio State. We'll, we'll see how Oklahoma, uh, how they fare this weekend. I know the, the Sooners dropped a spot after their win last weekend, but obviously Alabama bumped them down. So if it's Alabama, of course, but, uh, you know, and Oklahoma hadn't looked the most impressive either. So, uh, again, the AP poll, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing the actual college football playoff poll. Had several discussions with, with different people about Cincinnati and where they'll sit and how that all will shake out. But I'm expecting the winner of the Michigan-Michigan State game to be comfortably in the top five. There'll be an 8-0 football team in control of their own destiny at that point within their division and again, if, if Iowa isn't able to get over the Purdue loss, it, it could be that the division gets decided uh, when you see Michigan, Michigan State and Ohio State all trade games with one another as the season wraps up in November. Uh, if, I, if I were to have to pick this game right now based off of what I've seen, I think the Mm, man, this is tough. This is really, really tough. I think it's going to be the Spartans. I think it's going to be the Spartans. Uh, I think because they're the more balanced team, it's going to create more difficulty for Michigan. And to be frank with you, this is a type of game where if this game was at the, you know, at Michigan, it would be, you know, if it's at the Big House, I'd pick the Wolverines. This is the game where where it's played has as much, you know, influence on the on the winner. Uh, as it could possibly have, because I think a neutral site location for this kind of game is the only way to really have a fair contest. Uh, it'll be close, it'll be tight, it'll be competitive, it'll be physical, it'll be a great noon football game. You will certainly want to tune in. Ultimately, I think the Spartans will get it done. It'll be close. Again, magic number to me is 35. You hit 35 points, and you're in prime position to win this game, to go 8-0 overall, 5-0 in conference play, and have a huge leg up on the rest of the Big Ten with regards to college football playoff positioning. We'll see, though. It'll be a great game. Be sure to tune in. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. Segment two, we're going to talk about the LSU top jobs, some names thrown out this week, some interesting press conferences that we saw, and we will discuss all of it next. Welcome back to AFR. Thanks so much for tuning in. Appreciate it as always, whether you're watching AFR on Facebook or you're listening to the AFR 
podcast. Appreciate it. However you're tuning in. Again, we've had great listenership across the podcast. Uh, pretty much since the season started, it's been up every single week. And it's fantastic to see people enjoying and engaging with the show on Facebook. So I appreciate however you are tuning in and, and consuming the content. Uh, let's talk now a little LSU news. Some candidates have emerged. We've seen a few names drop this this week. Uh, some reports out there that some different uh, interviews are potentially happening soon. Nothing concrete, but it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, one name that we've seen is Oklahoma State's Mike Gundy. Now, this is a little more of a sleeper pick. Personally, I don't think Gundy would leave uh, o- Oklahoma State. Uh, he's had a lot of success there. The administration backs him there. But you can't rule him out. I mean, he, he's a guy uh, that's, uh, that's probably at least interested in the LSU position. That, of, of all the schools out there that sort of fit that Oklahoma State vibe, LSU is on the short list. Like, there, there's only a couple of, and, and to be fair, there's probably only a few schools in the country that's that could have a fan base, an alumni base, and a booster base that could tolerate somebody like Mike Gundy, right? Mike Gundy's not going to USC. Okay, he's not going to Southern California. That would that would be hilarious, but it would never work. Uh, so so Mike Gundy uh, would, I think, be a good sleeper pick for this position. You know, one of the things that was interesting to me reading up on some of these notes and these reports that he makes less. Mike Gundy at Oklahoma State makes $800,000 less per year than Gary Patterson at TCU. So, I, you know, having not known that prior to doing some of this, this digging, I think, you know, if I'm Mike Gundy and I'm in his camp, I could be a little miffed at that, right? I mean, Mike Gundy has accomplished more at Oklahoma State than Gary Patterson has at TCU, certainly has fielded more consistent football teams than Gary Patterson at TCU. Now, TCU back, you know, a few years ago, right? It's probably been a little longer, but it's still, you know, they had their moment. They had their their, their time in the spotlight, but that day has come and gone, and it's felt like a long time since the Horned Frogs were a competitive team, not just in the Big 12, but in college football at large. So, you know, Mike Gundy, right, he's been at Oklahoma State a long time. He's been there since 2005. He's 143 and 67 uh, while he's been head coach of the Oklahoma State Cowboys. And again, Mike Gundy has fielded consistent competitive teams at Oklahoma State. He's, you know, he's got his Cowboys at 6-1 and one overall, uh, 15th in the, the AP poll. Uh, now, they, they did drop seven spots after their loss this past weekend, but still, you know, Mike Gundy, uh, I think, has done a pretty good job at Oklahoma State. And he's never been a head coach anywhere except Oklahoma State. Uh, he was with the Cowboys as an offensive coordinator in the early 2000s. Uh, he was on their staff a little bit previously, too, back in the, the 1990s. Um, and, you know, he had a, a few other stops. He was at Baylor in 1996, Maryland from 97 to 2000, but he's never been a head coach anywhere except for Oklahoma State. So you know, could possibly see him wanting to, to jump ship and, and take a, you know, got to be a huge raise, right? If he's already making 800000 per year less than Gary Patterson, 
and TCU, he's going to get a hefty raise if he goes down to Baton Rouge. Um, we saw some other names, right? Mike Tomlin addressed this yesterday in, in his press conference. He was very adamant that he would never, quote, never consider coaching college football. Uh, some interesting comments from Mike Tomlin. I'm not sure where that arrogance came from. I, I don't know why he feels he's too good for college football. I mean, the reality is is the, the salary and the, the uh, benefits of coaching on a collegiate level rival, if not surpass, about half the teams in the National Football League in terms of, you know, being big jobs with, you know, I mean, yeah, you're coaching the NFL, you're coaching professional football, but I would rather be Nick Saban than the coach of the Miami Dolphins. You know, that's just me. I, I don't I don't get that, you know, the arrogance from Tomlin's comments sort of took me aback. I wasn't expecting him to be so against coaching collegiately. But nevertheless, Mike Tomlin has completely ruled that out. Now, another name that we've seen is Mel Tucker, Michigan State's uh, head coach. That has been a name that's been floated around. Uh, Now, you know, obviously Mel Tucker uh, is is sort of a a new name in terms of the coaching carousel and everything, right? He's got Michigan State at 7-0, big game this weekend, and he even had to address some of the rumors surrounding his potential move to LSU. But, you know, Right now, if you Google Mel Tucker, it's almost all LSU stuff, rumors, and he's going there and, and, and news with regards to that. He he did you know talk about in his press conference. I watched a little bit of it. Um, you know, he's focused on him and the team. We're focused on the game this weekend against Michigan, but he didn't really close the door on anything in a definitive way, right? He didn't Mike Tomlin this and say never, 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 never. I'm never going to do it. He just said, this is a quote. My focus is on the upcoming game against the school down the road, end quote. So I thought it was a little bit of an interesting comment. Uh, Now, you know, Tucker uh, certainly has to do a little bit more, I think, to prove himself before he gets uh, too deep into being a main guy for LSU. I don't think LSU is desperate, right? They're, They're certainly disappointed in how Coach O has panned out. I'm not particularly surprised that LSU's drop-off uh, occurred. I, I think, you know, everyone sort of knew, okay, after the national championship, they may, you know, there were a few people out there, there were a few people, a few homers who said, ah, LSU, man, they're going to be back in the college football playoff. They're going to be, you know, und- and I was like, you're crazy, you're insane. You don't know what you're talking about. Uh, they're going to be lucky to make a bowl game. And they were. They were lucky to make a bowl game. But it hasn't improved. And I, I, I you know, for, for a lot of reasons, right, you lose your offensive coordinator, you lose your defensive coordinator, you lose all that talent. It's a complete overhaul of your football program. But unfortunately for Coach O, he sort of demonstrated that he's not able to recover from those losses, you know, both on the field and then his, his coaching staff and personnel. Uh, but, but, you know, Tucker, I think Mel Tucker for Michigan State, again, he needs to put together a good season for the Spartans, and then possibly towards the end we may see his name pop up again in the discussions for the the LSU position. I I think it would be a shock to see them announce before 
December. I really do. I'm expecting most, because they know Coach O is going to be there for the rest of the year and, and, and the whole possibility of a bowl game and everything, you'd expect for them to wait and, and you know, once the season is over, the games have been played, and then start to look for, for a replacement. Obviously, they want to get a jump start as fast as they can on recruiting and things of that nature, but at the same time, you've got other coaches that are in the middle of their seasons. They're not just going to drop everything and go down to Baton Rouge for, for an interview. So we'll see. It's, it's, you know, LSU is a big job. It's a big-time job. You're in the SEC West, arguably one of the better divisions in college football and certainly usually the, the deepest conference in college football or the conference is the most competitive. It fields the most competitive teams, uh, especially now that, that Ole Miss has sort of figured out things on defense. A&M has looked stronger under Jimbo Fisher's leadership. So SEC West, I mean, Alabama's going to phase out eventually, right? Nick Saban's going to retire, and we're going to have to see some sort of transition there. Uh, and I don't think it'll be as seamless as what we saw at Ohio State with Ryan Day taking over for Urban Meyer. I think you will see Alabama drop off. But still, SEC West is a good conference to be a head coach in. So we'll have to see how how things go with regards to the LSU coaching carousel and the news there. But you know, the few names that have been floating around, Mike Gundy, Mike Tomlin, and Mel Tucker. So we'll certainly see... Uh, how that pans out, keep you updated on all of that. All right, let's take one more break. When we come back, we'll do a little Week 9 College Pick'em preview, look at all the big games upcoming for this weekend. It's next. Welcome back to AFR, last segment of this episode. Again, appreciate you tuning in. We've talked about a lot of big games uh, specifically in the, the Big Ten. But now let's let's spend a little time going across the college football landscape. Let's do a little Week 9 Pick'em preview. Always enjoy doing these segments every week. First game on the slate for Pick'em this week, Michigan and Michigan State. We talked about this ton in that first segment, right? I'm going to go with the Spartans. It'll be a good game. It'll be a hard-fought game. But I think old Sparty will figure out a way to win at home. Next matchup, we've got Texas and the number 16 Baylor Bears. Uh, Baylor has made a pretty nice comeback this year. They've, they've played well. Obviously, the sole blemish, the loss at Oklahoma State, 24-14 to a few weeks back. Texas, an up-and-down year. They've lost to Oklahoma State. They've lost to Oklahoma. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's not been... A great year for the Longhorns. Steve Sarkeesian, though, in his first year at the helm uh, of Texas, has done a, a pretty decent job. I mean, they have beaten the teams they were supposed to beat, right? They've beaten Rice. They've beaten TCU. They've beaten Texas Tech. The, the, the games where they're really supposed to be competing, though, the Oklahoma State game, the Oklahoma game, they've been close. They have been close. They arguably should have beaten Oklahoma at home a couple weeks back, weren't able to seal the deal, and that's why they're sitting at 4-3 and three overall. So I think, you know, while Texas has shown spurts of greatness, certainly has shown their offensive capabilities, it's really their defense that's letting them down. Their, their defense against Oklahoma and Oklahoma State burned them late, whereas Baylor has been more consistent on defense so far this season, part of the reason that they're 6-1, and one, uh, they only average allowing about 200 yards to the air and then 130 on the ground. So 
pretty good numbers. Uh, they, you know, and again, in the comparison categories, Baylor is allowing on average a hundred yards less per game than Texas, 333 to Texas's 433. So while the offensive numbers are basically the same for these two schools, right, over 450 yards of total offense, it's the defensive categories you got to pay attention to. Baylor has the upper hand in that. I'm going to go with the Baylor Bears. Next up, we've got Iowa, the number nine Iowa Hawkeyes taking on the Wisconsin Badgers. Boy, this has been a tough year for the Badgers. Uh, four and three, uh, you know, not bad losses, but still, it just hasn't been a great year. That that one and three start really hurt Wisconsin, and they have rebounded. You have to give them credit. You know, they have definitely pulled together and salvaged a season, but it's not been what a lot of people were expecting uh, out of Madison. So, you know, they've, they've had three straight wins after the losses to Michigan and Notre Dame, but Iowa, you know, coming off the Purdue loss, you'd think, okay, they've got a rebound. This will be a tough place to do it, right? This game is at Camp Randall. It is a Good environment there, even though Wisconsin's sitting at a basically a 500 record. So I think Iowa will prevail, uh, but this could be a this could be sort of a hangover game for the Hawkeyes. It's it's arguably a tougher matchup than the Purdue game should have been, but if Iowa's not paying attention, they could find themselves losing this football game. Going to go with the Hawkeyes, but it's one you might want to keep an eye on. Next up, we got the world's largest outdoor cocktail party. You know what I'm talking about. It's Florida, Georgia. Big rivalry game being played in Jacksonville this weekend. Obviously, the dogs come in as the number one team in the country. Florida comes in at four and three. So it's a big game for these two schools. No one else cares. Uh, Florida has had an up and down year. They've had an up and down year. Uh, when you look at their, their schedule and how things have panned out for the Gators, uh, they've got losses to LSU, uh, which probably stings worse than any of the other ones. The loss to Kentucky was not terrible, right? It's a one-possession game, 20-3. to And then obviously Alabama, uh, the two-point loss, that, that sort of uh, let the wind out of the Gators' sails. They had them on the ropes. It was a home game. Florida just couldn't. Close. I'm sure it pained them to see Texas A&M do it to the tide a few weeks later. But, you know, they, they just played sloppy football at different points throughout the season, while Georgia is a team that's gotten better and better and better. Every single week, the Bulldogs have improved. The number one team in the country, it's a consensus. I have them picked as the national champion this year. I said that during the Clemson game. I was like, hey, this is a national championship caliber football team. The Bulldogs will win, and they will win big over Florida. Next up, we've got Old Miss and Auburn. This is going to be a really good SEC game kicking off at 7 p.m. on ESPN. Expect some points. Expect a lot of points, right? Old Miss comes in averaging over 40 points per game, over 540 yards of offense. Auburn is not quite as explosive but Ole Miss's defense and their inconsistent play will make up for that, and Auburn will be able to, I think, keep pace with Ole Miss. Um, the, the real thing for Ole Miss is if they can score, 
and create a shootout type of scenario, it favors the Rebels 10 out of 10 times. If it's a lower scoring game, it typically favors their opponent. I know that the Rebels' loss uh, to Alabama uh, was a you know it's a 42-21 game where it was I think that classifies more as a higher scoring game. It's just that the Rebels' offense did nothing in that first half, right? You go back and watch, and they were able to move the ball, but they couldn't score, and that was what cost them the chance. I'm going to say chance. That was what cost them the chance to compete against Alabama back on October 2nd. But for this matchup against the Auburn Tigers, the other team from Alabama, I think the Rebels stand a pretty good shot. This will be a competitive game. It'll be a close game. Playing at Jordan-Hare is always tough, but Matt Corral has demonstrated week after week after week he can win close games, he can play physical games, uh, the will to win and the charisma and the maturation of him as a quarterback has been really special to watch, not just as an old Miss fan, but as a college football fan. It's been great to watch Matt Corral uh, mature and get better week after week, and the fact that he is the leading passer and leading rusher for Ole Miss, uh, he's just been a, a one-man band this season, and has sort of, you know, taken some of the spotlight away from Bo Nix, a, a Bo Nix guy at Auburn that a couple of years ago I felt like was going to be, you know, a really standout player, sort of a Johnny Manziel-esque type player. That's how I would categorize Matt Corral, sort of that one-man band, uh, I can do anything you need me to do coach mentality. Bo Nix has had a good year, but he hasn't had a Matt Corral caliber year, and he's definitely been overshadowed. So it'll be a good battle between two good quarterbacks. You'll want to tune in to watch how Matt Corral and Bo Nix perform, but ultimately I think Ole Miss wins in a shootout type of game. Again, higher scoring affair that'll favor the Rebels. Hotty toddy go Rebs. Next up, we've got Kentucky taking on Mississippi State. The Wildcats coming into this game 6-1, 12th in the polls, while Mississippi State sitting at 4-3 have had a little bit more consistent play. Mike Leach is doing a good job down in Starkville. I don't really have anything negative to say about Leach. You know, his his comments about Halloween candy from last week uh, post-game were, were hilarious, but Kentucky's on a roll right now. Kentucky has played really, really well this season. Uh, they've been consistent, and you look at some of their matchups, uh, the, the big thing for Kentucky is they're, they're a balanced football team, similar to how Michigan State has been playing. Uh, to a lesser degree, right? You know, Kentucky hasn't quite been uh, as you know efficient moving the football as Michigan State has been, but they are still a balanced team, and it's reflected in the stats. 197 yards passing per game, 191 yards rushing per game. That's about as balanced as you can get, whereas Mississippi State, all they do is pass. 374 yards through the air, less than 50 on the ground. They don't run very much at all, um, so they're very one-dimensional. And Kentucky, while they don't have the best pass rush in the game, they have a pretty good secondary, and I think the Wildcats will create enough um, you know, confusion for, for Mississippi State uh, quarterback uh, Will Rogers and maybe he'll turn the ball over, right? I mean, he's he's not exactly been the cleanest quarterback this season, right? He's got seven picks on the season to his 18 touchdowns. 
So if Will Rogers throws a couple interceptions against this Wildcat defense, it could turn in favor of Kentucky early. They could get out to a big lead and sort of blow this one wide open. I think Kentucky wins. It might stay within 10 to 14 points, but they should win comfortably. Next matchup, we've got the SMU Mustangs coming in ranked 19th, 7-0 on the season, taking on the 6-1 Houston Cougars. This is a game that's not going to get as much attention as a lot of the other matchups we've talked about, uh, kicking off ESPN2, right, sort of a forgotten about game, but one that should be pretty competitive and pretty entertaining uh, and a lot to play for for both of these teams, right? SMU is in the top 20 undefeated. Uh, they're not making a college football playoff, but they won a New Year's Six Bowl game, and they understand that they need to go undefeated, uh, and, and that, that'll help their case, right? That is going to give them an opportunity to play in a big bowl game. Houston has looked good this season. Uh, they, they had a little bit of a scare last week against East Carolina in overtime, but overall, the, the Cougars have played well this year. Obviously, the, the sole blemish came in week one against Texas Tech. They lost 38-21. to 21. Uh, SMU has been on fire offensively all season long. Over 500 yards of total offense, 42 points per game. It's really just been a shootout style of play for the Mustangs, and they've kind of accepted the fact that the other team's going to score. They're going to score a lot, you know, but if we outscore them, <laughs> then it doesn't matter, right? You look at the game against TCU a few weeks back. SMU won that one uh, 42-34. to You look at Louisiana Tech before that, 39-37. Close games where it's, it's a higher scoring affair, but ultimately the Mustangs have been able to pull it out. Now, recently their defense has played better, but still Houston... Uh, is, is one of the higher caliber offenses that they're going to have to go up against all year long. And, you know, I think ultimately for for SMU, what they're going to have to worry about is can Houston throw uh, like they've been able to throw against their opponents, right? Because Houston has been slinging it through the air. Some of the numbers that uh, Clayton Toon for Houston has been putting up uh, have been insane. He's got over 1,500 yards of passing on the season. Now, that that does pale in comparison to what Tanner Mordecai for SMU has put up. This guy's got almost 2,400 yards passing just this season. 29 touchdowns, 7 picks, but has been playing pretty clean so far uh, these last few weeks. Really uh, has, has improved as the season has gone on. Uh, again, SMU doesn't have the greatest defense in the world, but I think Houston will will have some issues running the ball, uh, possibly throwing the ball, and I th- oh, SMU, uh, I think, will win this matchup, but it should be a really entertaining game. Again, it's not going to get a lot of love. It's not going to get a lot of attention, but it is one that is worth watching because if the Mustangs are able to get through this one, you got to think with the rest of that schedule, it's going to look pretty, pretty feasible to, to finish undefeated. Um, you know, and, and from where they go, you know, where they're going to end up, uh, it remains to be seen. But we'll have to, you know, wait and see how the college football playoff rankings. You know, where do they put SMU? 
uh, and, and how are they graded. Now, one game I did forget about. All right? I was thinking, oh, they've got Memphis and UCF and Tulsa. Those are easy games. Well, I forgot about that Cincinnati game. At Cincinnati, November 20th for SMU, that'll be the big test. All right, that's, a, that's the American game of the year. That is the American Conference game of the year. Uh, certainly, Cincinnati will want to win that if they want to stay in contention for a college football playoff berth. Any blemish to their record, and they are out. Right, That's the difference. If you're a Power 5 team and you lose... You don't control your own destiny, but you still have the opportunity to make the playoff. Any two-loss team is automatically out. There's no chance they're going to make it. If you're a non-Power 5 football team, if you have one loss, that's the equivalent of a Power 5 team having two losses. You're out. There's no opportunity for you to get back in. Uh, Some people will say that's unfair, but that's how the system works right now. That's the current format of four teams. Power 5 teams, no losses. One loss, you're safe. You know you can get in. You can find a way, especially with that that one loss. If you're a group of five team, if you're a non-power five, forget it. Or an independent, forget it. You're out. You're done. There is no shot you're going to make it that year. Uh, we'll have to see how the expansion sort of changes that, but that's how things sit right now. Uh, but I'm picking SMU in this matchup. I think the Mustangs will win, but it'll be a close game. Next up, we got Penn State. And Ohio State, this is a a big, big game in the Big Ten. Not as big as Michigan, Michigan State, but certainly one to pay attention to. The Nittany Lions, though, they have, uh, they've they've had a rough, rough few weeks. I mean, they really have. Obviously, the loss in 9 OT to to Illinois, that has got to be leaving a bad taste in their mouth. But even the the loss on the road to Iowa the week prior, right, 23-20, Close games. I mean, Penn State's not losing these games uh, in devastating fashion. Well, excuse me. They are losing them in devastating fashion, but it's not blowouts, right? The Iowa game was super close the whole way. It could have gone either team's – it could have gone to either team, right? Penn State could have won. Iowa could have won. Ultimately, the Hawkeyes prevailed. And you got to think that Illinois performance by Penn State was sort of a hangover from the loss – to Iowa on the road. It, it probably cut them deep. They had college football playoff aspirations. It was a big game, uh, you know, in terms of being in control of their own destiny in the Big Ten. And now they're sitting in the back seat, sort of hoping that things sort of shake up. But again, 5-2, and two, playoff is over. Playoff, and after this performance against Illinois, right, an abysmal performance at home to an Illinois team that was struggling, is still struggling to get to 500. It, they're not making the playoff, but they would love to play spoiler to Ohio State. Only problem for Penn State is this game is at the Horseshoe. If it was at Happy Valley, maybe there's a chance, but as it stands, Ohio State, with more to play for and with more wind in their sails, they're going to be able to take care of business. They're going to take down Penn State. Uh, it probably won't be very close. I'm expecting about a 14 to 17 point game. Could creep up into that three possession range, right? 21. But uh, I, I, I'm I'm expecting Ohio State to perform well and get the win in that matchup. Next up, we got Virginia and BYU. The Cougars for BYU. They're 25th in the polls, six and two. 
while Virginia is is also six and two, maybe not getting as much love as BYU. But again, two pretty good football teams, two two pretty decent football teams, and uh, obviously uh, an underrated matchup, right? This is not going to get a lot of of love, and one of the reasons is because it's kicking off at ten fifteen. This is a very late kick for Virginia, kicking off 10.15 p.m. on ESPN2, obviously being played out in Utah. But, yeah, this is a pretty interesting matchup. You don't typically see ACC teams travel out to Utah to play BYU, um, but I'm glad they are. I think it'll be a fantastic matchup. I think, you know, obviously both of these teams have had some games that they wish they could have back, right, BYU their losses to Baylor on the road and then Boise State at home were tough to swallow. And then for Virginia, they lost pretty badly. 37-17 against Wake Forest. That was sort of before we knew how good Wake Forest was. And at North Carolina, 59-39. to So what's killed Virginia in games that they've lost and some of the games they've won is their defense just just can't keep the offense out of the end zone, the opposing offense out of the end zone. So if BYU is able to score, and you know they've demonstrated that they can usually get in the end zone four times a game, uh, then we should have a pretty competitive game. But I think Virginia's offense is what sets them apart uh, in terms of this matchup and, and who should be favored. Uh, I, I really like what I've seen out of Brennan Armstrong for Virginia this season. Uh, he has definitely um, you know, done a good job commanding this Cavalier offense. He's got 23 touchdowns uh, so far this season, and you know they're moving the ball through the air to a tune of 400 yards per game. This guy is slinging it. Uh, he's done a great job commanding that offense, and I think Virginia – is going to find a way to win this one uh, on the road. You know, kind of crazy, right? They're traveling all the way out to Utah. Very late kick. Uh, A lot of people picking BYU, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Cavaliers found a way. All right, last matchup we've got to look at Fresno State, San Diego State. San Diego State, the Aztecs coming in 7-0, ranked 21st in the polls. Fresno State at 6-2. Uh, you know, the Aztecs have sort of been a surprise this season. I, I honestly didn't think that we'd be looking at a 7-0 and San Diego State team that's looking to crack the top 20. Now, they've had some scares. They have had uh, some games go into second and third overtime. You know, San Diego State a couple weeks ago was a second overtime game, 19-13. to uh, Then you had Utah. Back on September 18th, that was a triple overtime game, 33-31. So it's been close for the Aztecs, but they have found a way. Just like Oklahoma, um, they found a way to sit there undefeated. And, you know, to their credit, they're 7-0, and they have uh, put together a solid season so far. But Fresno State's always a team you can't count out, right? The Bulldogs always manage to either make some chaos happen or, or play spoiler to uh, another team's uh, season and, and the, the success that they've had. 
when you look at this particular matchup, uh, San Diego State's numbers don't really impress, right? They're a run-heavy team. Uh, they average uh, twice as many yards on the ground as they do through the air, and they're only getting about 330 yards per game on offense. Fresno State's at almost 500 yards per game. What's interesting, though, is that they're both averaging around 30 points per game. So even though Fresno State's moving the ball more, substantially more than San Diego State, they're not able to score a bunch more uh, than the Aztecs. So this could come down to a, a defensive battle. Uh, if that's the case, it certainly does favor San Diego State. And if, if the Aztecs are able to make Fresno State play their style of game and their, the tempo that they want to play, um, it, it will you know be a game that will probably favor San Diego State. I think if this is a lower-scoring game, it favors San Diego State. Higher scoring game, it will probably favor Fresno State. Um, but again, if this is a game where field position is at a premium, punts and all that sort of stuff, and field position matters, then it will probably favor the Aztecs. Just because San Diego State has, has found a way to scrape by these past few weeks, right? The second you know, double overtime game, the triple overtime game, I'm going to pick them. It'll be a good game. It, it should be a very close game, but I think ultimately the Aztecs will we'll find a way to improve to 8-0. and But again, should be a fantastic game, which kicks off uh, late, 10.30 on CBS Sports Network. i got to be honest, this might be the best slate of Pick'em games we have had all season long. It is a fantastic weekend of college football coming up. Be sure to tune in to as many games as you can. Again, if you are in the Pick'em League, be sure to get your picks in before Saturday at noon. Uh, it's been a lot of fun bringing you this edition of After Further Review. Again, appreciate you tuning in, whether it's on Facebook or if you're listening to the AFR podcast. We will be back on Monday to break down all the Week 9 action, all the big games, all the results, and we'll definitely have some more highlights and news for you as the week progresses. So stay tuned for all of that. Until then, have a good one, and thanks for tuning in. I'm Jay Smith, and this has been After Further Review.